0: Welcome to this podcast brought to you by the Journal of Healthcare Contracting, and now our host, publisher John Pritchard.
1: Welcome to today's podcast, I'm John Pritchard, publisher of the Journal of Healthcare Contracting. Today's topic, learn about the importance of a layered approach to disinfection from real-world perspective. I would like to welcome our key opinion leader, our expert, Mark Oliver-Wright, clinical science liaison with PDI. Mark, welcome to today's call.
0: Uh, thank you for inviting me to join you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you giving us time. You know, the healthcare environment so complex. PDI and Trudy talk about embracing a layered approach to infection prevention, specifically as it relates to the field of environmental cleaning and disinfection. Can you describe what you mean by a layered approach?
0: Sure. Uh, By definition, a layered approach has multiple steps that include establishing policies and protocols, uh, choosing the appropriate disinfectants and technology to use in the healthcare setting, Uh, providing education for staff, and then building a standard for compliance, monitoring, and feedback. You know, the layered approach to infection prevention requires a recognition that technology, in the absence of utilization, is really not a recipe for success. You can't just purchase your way out of a problem. It's rooted in human factors. The discipline that focuses on optimizing the elements of the external environment or work system to lead to better processes and therefore better outcomes. But how does that work as it pertains to the healthcare setting? Well, first you must identify what the goal is. The goal is not to render the healthcare environment sterile. Uh, That's both arguably unattainable and decidedly unsustainable. It's really about reducing the environmental bio burden, you know, the number of organisms in the environment to a safe and sustainable level. Now the first step is an objective review of policies and procedures. You know, who is supposed to clean what and when, how often, and, and importantly, in what order. You wanna optimize how these protocols can work best for the people doing the work. There've been times in my career where when I asked about who was responsible for cleaning a particular item, I was met with blank stares, and, and that's never a good thing. You know, so there's a need for a robust evaluation uh, before we go down the path of what tools we use. Most facilities have some version of this, but maybe it's not as detailed or robust as it can or should be. And maybe the environment has changed. They brought in some new equipment, for example, and the process was never updated. It can be helpful to have an outside pair of eyes review this process, as well as the end users who are supposed to be doing the work. Does the protocol reflect practice? And if not, why not? And how can we make it better?
1: Very interesting. Once you review policies and procedures, what's next in building your disinfection program?
0: Well, the tools we use are tied to our practice. So we need to select the right tools to meet our needs. You know, on the manual cleaning side, this is where the selection of disinfectants and supplementary disinfection comes into play. Uh, many facilities may use a multi-tiered approach. They might use a quaternary ammonium disinfectant for routine cleaning and disinfection and then use cytal agents for a slick patient population like those that have C. diff. This isn't inherently bad or wrong, but adding a step introduces system complexity. Complexity increases variability, and variability leads to a lack of compliance. You know, how does the EVS worker know that a particular room needs a spore cytal agent? Uh, the alternative is to use a universal product all the time, but that may introduce the issue of compatibility. With surfaces and equipment, because sometimes better killing agents can be harsher on surfaces. Regardless, you have to work through these issues. In the Better D disinfection study, they found that using UBC supplemental disinfection led to a significantly decreased risk for C. diff for the next patient, even after using spore cytocleaners. So after you determine the chemical agents you're going to use for manual cleaning and disinfection, you really need to decide if and if so, what type of supplemental disinfection you're going to deploy. But even that may not be enough.
1: Mark, why wouldn't that be enough? Are there any barriers or keys to success for implementation?
0: Well, it's it's not just about the tools and the technology. It's about the overall system and optimization of use. You know, I think this is a big mistake organizations make in, in skipping or, or glossing over this stuff. It's, not enough to say we're going to clean the environment with the right agent or going to bring in some new, albeit really cool technology like UV robots to supplement our efforts. You have to go back to the first step. How are you going to use this? This is from personal experience times two. In the first facility, we use an ultraviolet light emitting supplemental disinfection technology uh, sporadically, and we didn't actually track it. We had four hospitals and, and maybe five machines we really didn't see a difference. And you know what happens with the lack of results is that it can breed either contempt or apathy. In my next facility, we had a serious C. diff problem. We were already using a universal sporicidal agent on all surfaces, all cleans. Uh, we were already tracking compliance with cleaning, uh, more on that in a second, but we were still not that great. Um, like most healthcare facilities, we were monitoring and providing feedback on hand hygiene We also already had a handful of supplemental disinfection machines, the same ones as in the prior facility. They were kind of gathering dust in the basement, uh, but had been used with no improvement. And yes, we had a robust antimicrobial stewardship program in place for almost 20 years by this time. And we were still worse at hospital onset C. diff than almost 90% of hospitals in the country. So yeah, we had some work to do.
1: It's crazy. So despite all your efforts to control C. diff, you weren't achieving the desired results. What did you do?
0: Well, unrelated to this conversation, we did look at diagnostic stewardship, making sure you test the right patient for the right reason and at the right time. But we also looked at the environment. When we decided a new and perhaps better and easier to use supplemental UV disinfection technology was an option, we not only compared the difference in technology, but we took a hard look at how it needed to be used. I mean, this was a 650 plus bed facility. So let me illustrate this by using some simple math. Let's say you have a 500 bed facility and you wanna use supplemental disinfection. Let's also say for the sake of example, 10% of your patients transfer discharge out of their rooms every day. So that's 50 patients. And and let's assume that 20% of them are on isolation of some kind. I, I think that's all pretty conservative in terms of estimates, but if you're only using supplemental disinfection, that means 10 rooms need to be done. Uh, That's easy, right? You get 10 rooms and no big deal. Two machines ought to do it, right?
1: That sounds simple, but I'm assuming there's more strategy required to determine where the devices
0: are needed. Is that right? Yeah. You have to consider, are those 10 discharges or transfers evenly distributed throughout the day? like every two or so hours, probably not. Uh, Most facilities see a spike in discharges and transfers throughout the day. If you're aggressive about, say, before noon discharges, that means you're going to see a spike at about 11 a.m. If not, it's probably late afternoon, right? Either way, you're likely to see a spike. Plus, if you're a 500-bed facility, you need to get the machines to where they need to be, the units, where the patients are, and they might be spread out. What I mean to say by this is that like everything in infection prevention, you need to have high compliance with your initiatives in order to see improved outcomes. Now, this isn't shocking. If your hand hygiene or decolonization or environmental cleaning compliance rates are say 60%, would you expect to see good outcomes? Probably not. Why would you expect anything different with your supplemental disinfection? You need to optimize your system to achieve good compliance.
1: You know, compliance plays such a huge role in infection prevention and control. How does UVC play into compliance?
0: Well, you start at the beginning. You know, what do you actually need? If your focus is on isolation patients, how many isolation patients are discharged or transferred per day? When and where is that spike that I mentioned? Where can I place these machines? Which brings me to a major point. If your supplemental disinfection equipment is charging or stored in the basement with the rest of environmental services, you kind of already lost the battle. They just can't be there. I I know that non-revenue generating physical space is a prized commodity in healthcare facilities. There's no doubt about that. But supplemental disinfection equipment used daily should take precedence over a piece of, say, ultrasound equipment or related instrument that gets used every other week. It needs to be proximal or close to where it needs to be used. Every time I see a, a UV room disinfection device in the basement, I feel pretty certain that they're not seeing the results that they could be. Anyway, you, you need to select your tools, uh, disinfectant and supplemental alike based on your needs. It's homework. Then you need to optimize the placement, but the process really doesn't end there. So, You've selected the tools you need and have optimized placement of the device in targeted rooms and pathogens. You know, what else is entailed in a a successful program? Well, first of all, your staff need to know how to use it. This is where that education piece comes in in the layered approach, not just initially and not just the how, but you have to convey the why. Probably my favorite part of being an infection preventionist is in knowing that everyone who works in healthcare to a more or less extent does so out of altruism. If you want to be wealthy, try Wall Street. Healthcare is probably not your field, but making a difference? I mean, this is where it's at. You know, if 2020 taught us nothing else, it did that. Heroes don't just wear white coats, though. They're pushing a cart of cleaning agents. They're heroes as well. But sometimes you have to remind them that they, too, wear a cape. And explain the why. And in the same context, the crucial role they play in keeping patients safe in the context of what? How to use the disinfectant or the equipment accomplishes two tasks. It educates the end user, sure, but the context conveys the urgency, the importance of doing things right. Now, EVS departments are unfortunately often understaffed and they can be subject to high turnover rates. So it's not just about the initial education, but the ongoing feedback and ongoing education of new employees. You know, your newest hire today needs to know how to do their jobs well, and feel a sense of ownership just as much as your most tenured member.
1: Great insight. How how do we close the loop for a layered approach to infection prevention?
0: Well, processes in the absence of feedback is an open loop going nowhere. We have to monitor and provide feedback to the people that make the difference. First of all, supplemental disinfection does not in any way replace the crucial need of manual cleaning and disinfection. Even if the numbers are bad. They've been reported as being as low as 50% compliance in physically cleaning the surface as we should. It's still a crucial step. The vast majority of supplemental disinfection tools like 2D Smart UVC require surface soilage, uh, the physical, albeit gross stuff, bloody and body fluids to be removed effectively before use. And there are different ways to monitor. I've always been partial to the fluorescent light applicators. However, one problem is what to mark. You know, the CDC recommended for years to mark high-touch objects, and that initially made sense until you step back and think that there's no difference to say that a high-touch object is any more likely to transmit an organism than an infrequently touched object if both are contaminated. So it's okay to start with high-touch objects for monitoring, but I would suggest that you need to dream a little bigger, if you will, Uh, randomize it. So... Folks are not just cleaning what they expect will be monitored and then focus your efforts on high risk or high rate units. Regardless, you can monitor all you want, but if you don't provide feedback to the people doing the work, well, you're just kind of counting beans and doing that in the dark, actually. This is where TrueD Smart UVC portal can really come into play by matching where you're using the supplemental disinfection with where you're supposed to be doing it, you can really look at compliance. If a particular unit is not getting the treatment it needs, you need to ask why. Often it's not about the people. It's, it's really the work system in total. We, we had a heme unit that struggled to get above 70%. Then we found that patients were being discharged at around the same time every day and, and that one machine wasn't enough. So we took a lower utilization unit down the hall and moved their machine closer to the heme unit and some, sometimes running both machines in the same unit at the same time and then compliance was reached 85% consistently. And lastly, we we put our compliance on our corporate scorecard. Not only did EVS supervisors and staff see this, so did our CEO, the medical executive board, and every element of clinical leadership. We showed compliance with process measures like UV utilization with patient outcomes in the same graph. When they both improved and instilled a sense of pride, not only at the end user level, but really across the organization. You know, successes are hard to come by and we need to celebrate them.
1: What an interesting conversation today with Mark Oliver Wright, Clinical Science Liaison, learning about the importance of a layered approach to disinfection from a real world perspective. Listeners, thank you for listening in today's podcast. I'm John Pritchard, publisher of the Journal of Healthcare Contracting.